Heavens declare glory of God, and all the world will join the praise His wonders proclaim. The oceans and skies lift up their voice, and He has made. Daniel as he prepares to present uh, your word. Lord, I ask that you will um, that you will speak to our hearts. 
If you have your Bibles, please turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 21. Um, as you heard, you know, past couple of weeks, you know, I, I really have the conviction that Easter should be at least at minimum equivalent to our Christmas celebrations as the resurrection of Christ uh, has uh, uh, enabled us to have meaning in our faith without the resurrection. Uh, Paul says, our faith is in vain. You are still in your sins and we were even found to be misrepresenting God. That shows just how important the resurrection is. So we have been, uh, uh, we, we'll be spending the entire month of April looking at the resurrection, looking at stories of the resurrection. And we're going to look at uh, uh, Pastor Jim DiBiasso last week, led us through John chapter 20, and we will be looking at John chapter 21 this morning. To help set up this chapter, we need to remind ourselves of Peter's own story as this will be about Peter and Jesus here. And to do so, uh, we will focus on how that story is told primarily by the apostle John as found in his gospels. The story begins, well, we, we can pick it up at least in John chapter 13 on the night of the Last Supper. Jesus mentions to his disciples as they are kind of sitting around the table having the, the Last Supper, observing the Passover meal, a very unique night that I'm sure they all could sense as they stood in that room that something was about to happen. And as Jesus was there, he said, someone here this very night around this table will betray me. Judas slips out. The disciples didn't quite understand why he slipped out, wondering, looking at one another, who in this room will betray him? Is it, is it I? Is it I? At this scene, it is now that Jesus begins teaching what he calls his new commandment to love one another. The disciples' love for one another will be evidence that they are indeed his followers. And he says, and soon I am going to be glorified and will only be with you for a little while longer. And then, as Peter customarily does, in chapter 13, verse 36, he, he, he blurts out. He's like, Lord, where are you going exactly? And Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow but you will soon afterwards. In the middle of Jesus' some cryptic words, somewhat cryptic words concerning his betrayal and going somewhere where others cannot go and being glorified, Peter, you can almost sense like an anxiety within himself because he feels so devoted to Jesus that he says loud and for all the disciples to hear, he says, Lord, why can I follow you? I'm willing to even lay my life down for you. Peter seems bold. He seems courageous and ready to face whatever Jesus may be facing, even by his side. Yet it is here that Peter is met with the terrifying prophetic words from Christ. Will you lay down your life for me, Peter? Truly, I say to you, the rooster will crow um, until you have denied me three times. As the night proceeded on, Jesus was arrested. He was rushed into the secret nighttime trial by the chief priests in Jerusalem. Peter found himself following Jesus like a little bit of a distance. Didn't want people to quite see him next to him. Was just kind of observing him from afar in eyesight. As he made his way into the courtyard, kind of sneaking in where the trial took place, he began being impressed by people around him who recognized his face, saying, you're, 
you're one of his guys, right? Don't I know you? Haven't I seen you the past week walking around here with him as he's been preaching and teaching? You're, you're one of his disciples, are you? And the first time Peter says, no, I am not. And he sticks with his new narrative and says, no, no. And then even a third time goes to my said, I just saw you like an hour ago in the garden with him. That's you. And he says, no, it is not I. And at that time, says John, another kind of ominous statement. John says, it was then that a rooster crowed. Luke provides a detail that at that very moment on that third denial on the rooster in the distance, you can hear it crowing. It is when they lock eyes, Jesus and Peter. But then Mark provides another detail that in that moment, Peter broke, it says. That moment broke him and he ran weeping bitterly. Peter was not found at the cross when Jesus died at the foot of the cross. He was not there. However, he was seen as one of the first ones after Mary Magdalene discovered the empty tomb of Christ, as we heard last week. But here in John 21 is where we get the uh, uh, first kind of direct conversation between Jesus and Peter until after that dramatic event of his denial. Now, before we jump into this conversation, I want to think about our own Life, um, And as it is easy perhaps to think about Peter in this story, because when these kind of narratives are written, uh, the writers, uh, John here, he wants you to read yourself into the story, to relate to these characters, uh, these, these real people, these real stories, to kind of see yourself in their shoes. And yes, we are to see ourselves in Peter's or going to see. But I also want you to consider this story from Jesus's eyes as well. Because Jesus was the one who was betrayed, not just by Judas, but also by Peter. And also remember that Peter was not just any disciple. He was a member of the inner three that Jesus spent the most time with. And Peter was even the spokesman of the group. He was very, very close with Jesus. And I think it's safe to say one of his closest friends while Jesus was on earth in the final three years of his life. So we're going to take this story found in John 21, and as we are sticking with themes of the resurrection, we're going to kind of zoom out a little on Peter's life even after this, and how I, I think at least, right, this conversation can become for you and I a bit of a guide and a bit of a pattern um, of direction for inter-church relationships, now relationships, one-on-one -on -one faced with actual, like, physical, you know, standing in front of people, relationships is irreplaceable. We've all learned this because if any of you the past year have been on Zoom and you're trying to figure out, you know, okay, I'm, should I look at my camera as, or do I look at the screen because, you know, I'm not really making eye contact with anybody. And then you're, you're kind of looking at the screen as you're all trying to have a meeting. You're not with them, but nobody's looking at each other's eyes. There's kind of like everywhere. And it just feels so unnatural. And we all know this after this pandemic. We can't replace actually sitting next to somebody and talking to them. We know as human beings, we need to be with one another and to have actual meaningful relationships in our life, friendships. God created this world at the very beginning to be inhabited by a multiplying race of human beings living together and subduing this world together with God himself. 
Just as God spoke this world into existence by and through his word, which is Jesus Christ, and through the power of the spirit who was hovering over the face of the deep, he created all things, and yes, the Trinity is found in Genesis chapter 1, The intention was that we all together would live and labor in this world all beneath God and even with God in the world of peace and love as we enjoy the glory and the majesty of God and his beauty in our day-to-day living. That was God's original intention when he created us. But when sin entered in the scene through the evil one, humans turned away from God But when we turn away from God, inevitably, we turn away from each other. After the sin of Adam and Eve, they weren't just hiding from God, they were also hiding from one another, both seeking a covering and hiding in the bushes. The whole story of Scripture is one of God seeking to rescue humanity back to himself with the goal of humanity also then being reconciled to one another. I'm going to look at John 21 as a beautiful representation, I believe, of how Christians should be living life together, how we work out our problems and our offenses of one another. If you spent any time in the church, you know that happens. Um, I have had some of the most meaningful friendships in my life get weird in church. And I'm like, what happened? Like you were there like two days after my kid was born and like now we're not even talking? Like what in the world happened here? And maybe you've experienced that in your life in a church setting where you are to at least believe like that, that shouldn't be the, if anywhere that shouldn't be the case, it shouldn't be the case here. Like how how is that happening here? And why won't this person even tell me what's up? And they just disappear. And then I don't even know where they are anymore. And and you carry that pain of like, that was a good friend. What what happened? Like I say, as a pastor of a church, it happens a lot and it's hard. It's really difficult. And so I want to look at this and, and suggest that in Christ, no matter what happens, there's always a chance that you and I and us together can work through offenses can work through our issues with one another and look to the, to the cross and also to the resurrection as your guide. We're going to see, though, at the end of our time today, just how powerful the testimony is of a church that learns to do this, that learns to have this kind of deep and meaningful community with one another. Because when Peter and Jesus were reconciled in this stories we're about to read, we're going to look in Acts and see the result of what happened to a church to begin living these kind of things out together. So let's begin this in John chapter 21. Beginning of verse 1. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples. This is after the resurrection. By the sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, James and John, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going to go fishing. They said, we'll go with you. They went out, got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. So Peter was found back with his buds. He was also found doing the very thing that he was found doing before he even met Jesus, which is his trade, which was fishing. 
And mind you, this was all Peter's idea to go fishing, and his friends and companions wanted to join them. This is kind of like a glimpse into, I don't know, like a Tuesday morning, or Tuesday, in this case, evening, right? Because Peter was a graveyard, you know, uh, shift fisherman here. Um, It was a glimpse into Peter's just regular life, how it looked before he met Jesus, and even even after the resurrection, there is Peter going about regular life. This would have been the very regular morning. It's also springtime still. This is close to the resurrection event. Maybe a morning awful, you know, much like the one we have today or actually evening. It was an overnight fishing trip. So the air was cool, right? The, the nighttime was cool. And um, as the story continues in verse four, it says this. Just as day was breaking, the morning was coming up, the sun over the horizon, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They said, nope. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. And of course, it's kind of a funny thing. It's like all night of fishing is like, oh, right to your right, like right there. They're like, okay. But you know, at this point, I'm sure if you remember, there's another similar story of this in the other gospels, that this was how some of the disciples are initially called, right? At the very beginning. Um, And they're like, well, I don't know. Why not at this point? Well, we got to lose. They throw it into the right. And before you know it, it says, uh, they they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish, the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved, John, presumably here, he says, therefore, he said to Peter, it is the Lord. They instantly knew only Jesus can pull this off. This is Jesus. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in on the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. So only after this familiar miracle of an empty net, and after a failed night of fishing, uh, ending with a random stranger from the shore yelling, just throw it to the right there, uh, that perhaps due to exhaustion, as we said, you know, they were like, okay, they obeyed, and that was the sign, right, that Jesus was here, and that's when the splash happened. The disciples look, and there's Peter swimming as fast as he can to get to Jesus. And mind you, who likes to go swimming in the month of April, right? This is probably a bit chilly. Doesn't matter to Peter. He is swimming. He is desperate. What is going through his mind, Peter's mind right now, right? Like we're not sure, uh, quite sure as to the length between his denial and this scene, but it was close, right? That was not that long ago by any means, just days, weeks, right? His lack of caution to just lunge himself into this lake to get to Jesus quickly shows something about Peter's perception of Jesus, which must be this. He knows the kind of person Jesus is. And he knows that even though his sin and betrayal was egregious and it was, it was rough, he knew that Jesus would still accept him. Peter probably knew that he could cast himself on the grace and mercy of Jesus, even though his sin was great. In other words, I think that Jesus was a pretty approachable person. Are you an approachable person? If somebody has an offense against you, are you someone that people feel comfortable walking up to to air that grievance out? 
Um, just yesterday, my wife and I got into a little bit when she said, hey, we're, my, my, uh, my sister-in-law, we're down with her, her kids, my nieces and nephews, and they went, they, um, her, her parents live in Delaware, or Maryland, I think, and she was in town. So go to the playground. And I was like, great, so I can stay back home and get stuff done at the house. And Alex said, no, you're coming with us. And I was like, I got to get stuff done here. She goes, no, and we got into a little bit. And of course, I like put my foot down and I eventually, you know, was like, I'm just staying, sorry. And then, you know, I was upstairs doing something and just felt like, I can't, like, what am I, it's not worth this. And so, of course, I ended up going and it was a wonderful time. It was great, right? But I know when I fight like that, I, I, I prevent my, you know, I, I ruin kind of my approachability with her because she's going to eventually feel like, if I go toe-to-toe with him again, he's just going to want to get his way. So, you know what, I'm not going to bother. And that's what happens, Right? I become unapproachable at that point. So I had to ask for her forgiveness. But are you an approachable person? Jesus seems to be approachable even after somebody said, I don't even know who you are. And he burned his closest friend. He still knows that closest friend, which is Jesus himself will still, with open arms, embrace him. Unless we rob Jesus of his humanity, I am sure that when Jesus saw Peter jump into the water and come swimming his way, I'm sure a brief flashback happened in his own mind. That's the guy who betrayed me. But it makes you think of that parable of the father and the the prodigal son, right? That even though he sent his son off with all the money and knew that son was just ruining himself, what happened when his son showed up again? That father ran to meet him. I'm sure you could see Jesus' compassion just kind of welling up as Peter was just swimming as erratically as he could to get to him that the grace just filled his heart and couldn't wait to see his friend Peter. This relationship, as we will see next, um, it was not quite yet reconciled. There still needed to be a hard conversation that happened. It begins here in verse uh, 9. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come, have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so would the fish. This is now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. So as Peter and the other disciples approach Jesus, they find him ready to eat. It's morning, it's breakfast time, it's springtime, lakeside. Probably a beautiful, nice, you know, peaceful setting here. The air was cool, the fire warm. But as Peter saw the fire, we can imagine maybe another flashback took place in his own mind. The last time he saw such a fire, when Peter was warming himself, as that story goes, um, when he denied his Lord. And to kind of break the story here, there's evidence that Jesus invented fish sandwiches. There was bread, there was fish. I don't know. So maybe when you eat a fish sandwich, we can call it the Jesus sandwich. Anyway, verse 15. I've always thought that. I don't know why. It just shows where my mind is sometimes. Verse 15, when they have finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to them, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. 
There's some uh, textual evidence here that this conversation between the resurrected Jesus and Peter took place one-on-one, right? One commentator said, you know, maybe they kind of got up from the fire and Jesus was like, Peter, when you go for a walk? Peter's thinking like, okay, this is where we talk about what happened here, right? And they go for a walk. So they finished their fish sandwiches and Jesus says, you know, let's go. And he says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Calling somebody with a name like that kind of makes, you know, you remember when your parents would use your first and middle name and last name, you know, serious conversation coming up. I got to pay attention. It's a little difficult to know like who these are. The word these is the direct object of the sentence, but there's no clear object in place. Is he talking about the other disciples? I wrestle with that because it doesn't seem completely consistent with Jesus's nature to say like, hey, Peter, do you love me more than John? It's like, he's, I don't know. It feels like he's kind of pinning up Peter against the others. Like, do you love me more than other people, other than, other than you know, the other disciples? Now, another translation is possible here that it's, do you love me more than this? A broader statement of Jesus that could actually be referring to kind of the whole package that Jesus walked up on, right? Peter, living his normal life, hanging out with his fishing buddies, trying to get some work done. Remember, this was Peter's trade. This was his livelihood. And there's a good possibility where I lie here that Jesus is saying, do you love me more than all this stuff, than even these people, than even this fishing life, than even your own, Peter? Just how much do you love me? Do you love me more than even your own life? The command given to Peter here after he says, yes, you know, I love you. He says, feed my lambs. This is a turning outward of Peter. Now consider what Jesus is confronting here within Peter. Um, His selfish turning inward action of looking out only for his own skin on that fateful night. But here Jesus is saying, Peter, I have something better in mind for you because life isn't about you. Following me will lead you to care for my sheep. Are you up to that kind of life? And here specifically, Jesus addresses Peter in this way because we know, as we'll see in Acts soon, he will be the first leader and kind of pastor of the church when it begins not too long after this this event. Jesus continues on. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter said, or he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. You can imagine they're walking, silence. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said this to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to them, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. At this point, Peter was probably kind of exasperated, thinking like, Jesus, I've already told you this twice. Like, you not, you not believe me here? And the irony here is that Peter was briefly feeling the same exasperation that Jesus must have felt when Peter denied him not once, not twice, but three times. Jesus was really kind of pushing himself deeply into Peter's heart here, knowing that this failure of an event in his life needed to be his very turning point, his opportunity to receive a new life, a new and fresh start, not only for himself, Not only in his relationship with Jesus, 
But all of this would then needed to be spilled out into all of those around him. This was going to be Peter's fresh and new start he got in Christ. He kept pushing Peter to turn outward, to be the one who would care and lead Jesus' sheep and lambs. But that was not all that would be in store for Peter because Jesus continued on. When he said to him, he said, feed my sheep. That's for the third time. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. And then John gives us a little, his own little commentary of interpretation here. He says, Jesus said this to show by what kind of death Peter would glorify God. Peter, whose denial of Christ maybe saved his own skin earlier, Jesus just told him um, that uh, following him would indeed lead to his own death. He would gain the very thing he tried to avoid last time. He would lose his own right over himself. He would be forced to be stretched out and go somewhere he did not want to go. Those cryptic words from Jesus seems to match uh, in history the traditional story that's been passed down that Peter was crucified like Jesus. But in a request to not die exactly like his Lord because he deemed himself not worthy, Peter requested the cross to be placed upside down as he died. And this brings us full circle now back to the beginning of our sermon today. Jesus concluded this conversation with Peter by the simple words, follow me. And in a way, you and I are kind of the spiritual children of Peter deciding to take up that cross and follow Jesus. Because um, by the help of the Spirit, Peter had a, an incredibly powerful ministry that took place soon after this, as found in the book of Acts. The story picks up as Peter and about 120 other people are after this event and after Jesus had ascended back to heaven, they're sitting in the upper room. And many of you know this story, right? As they're sitting in there and they're praying, the Spirit of God falls and it, it appears like fire. And right out of the room on the streets below them, it's the time of Pentecost. It's a Jewish feast where Jews from all corners of the Roman Empire uh, were gathered and flooding uh, the streets with their presence. And suddenly these 120 disciples of Jesus were outside on the porch, like speaking in tongues and the languages that were coming out were matching those from all the corners of the Roman Empire. And Luke provides a whole long list of those languages and people are thinking, what in the world is this? Like, what is going on? And they're, and they're preaching. They're all just, they're all just yelling the, of the glory and majesty of God in Christ. Peter, as people started kind of mocking the scene, saying like, this must be like a joke. Maybe they've been like drinking up there and getting a little silly. Like, what is, what is this? And Peter steps out. Like, yeah, I think if you're Peter, you're stepping out into a crowd in Jerusalem, the very city that just like a month prior or so Jesus was killed. Peter wouldn't know the results of this preaching, of this going out there. You see the boldness is actually there, and he's about to risk his own life to speak to Jesus off of this porch and preach one of the most famous sermons we have in Acts chapter 2. But the result was that thousands met Jesus for the first time. The Spirit fell on that crowd. And so the new life that Peter received in Christ is now spilling out into the streets of Jerusalem. And this is where I believe we must take heed. From this scene in John 21, this is kind of like, it was much more quiet 
not quite as dramatic, right, as Acts chapter 2. It reminds me of something that could take place like over somebody's dinner table between Jesus and Peter in John chapter 21, right? We don't see fire appearing. We don't see the spirit falling on Jesus or like the dead being raised somewhere in some dramatic, amazing sign happening. All this is is Jesus having a hard conversation with his friend and his disciple, Peter. Something like that is very, a very, very important part of what Christians call discipleship. And although Pentecost is a dramatic scene, the result was not only that, you know, every Sunday morning, much like today, Christians continued to gather in these early days and acts that was in the temple itself and they gathered. And yes, like big things happened, signs happened, people were being healed. The, the city was seeing when these Christians gathered together, some special stuff was happening. But something else was happening throughout the week that was a little more mundane, mixed in with the supernatural. In Acts 2, we see this, beginning in verse 42, very famous section of scripture. And these new Christians mixed in with the older ones, right? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Awe came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, maybe even eating fish sandwiches. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all of the people. What is the result of all those things happening together? The Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. I can't help but, th but think of Peter breaking bread with Jesus, having this hard conversation with him is kind of part of the background noise, what we see in the early church, that such mundane community of disciple making between these early Christians was interwoven with these dramatic signs and wonders and powerful times of worship that was taking place. They gathered in large numbers in the temple where the dramatic, spiritually powerful events took place, but they also sat around one another's dining room tables eating meals together, living life together, much like Peter and Jesus were in this story. They were sharing everything, caring for one another in radical and amazing ways. Because guys, it's not enough just to have like gatherings on Sunday morning, right? Peter and Jesus had three years of like daily time together, creating a very powerful friendship between these two men. And this, this, this conversation we see in chapter 21 has not happened in a vacuum, right? We need to remember he was, a, he was fully God and fully man. This is Jesus, Peter's friend, talking to him like this. And I think that we need to look at all these things in Peter's life and see that the church is both and, right? We need to pray that God can, yes, as we meet together on Sunday mornings, like do something amazing here. Like when we're singing music and, and people actually just feel the spirit of God fall and like, yes, Jesus, bring those things to happen here because we know that people get saved and their lives are altered and changed in those environments. Yes, may it be done. But what about on Tuesday or Wednesday nights or Friday nights or midday Thursday when you have some free time, right? Is your table being shared by your fellow brother and sister here in this church? Are you, is your life kind of also intertwining with those sitting in the pew 
next to you? Are you caring and loving and serving one another? If you spend enough time with somebody, you're going to offend them. You will brush shoulders with them in a way that they don't like, just like Peter did with Jesus. And with that relational equity, suddenly you can find and depend on the grace of Jesus to say, you know what, we can, we can work this out. And then when the church just operates this way, when we're living this sort of life, you know, a world that's existing right now that is just being uh, publicly, we're just driven apart from one another. We're being pinned up against each other. People don't know how to forgive one another between this people group or that people group. And there's just, there's even violence. There's even just a, a lack of vision to know how do we resolve this other than just fighting and, and, and continuing to pin one another up against each other. Church, if we can figure out how to do this, just taking the simple conversations in John 21 and saying, can these things happen here? Like, can it happen, actually happen here? Because in Acts, when all those things were combined, it said that people kept coming to the faith because they said, we've never seen anything like this. We've never seen a people, a group of people, which in Rome consisted of all social classes, the rich and the poor. There was no middle class there. It was all these people from all branches of life in Rome doing this together. Combined with the power of God working, people said, what is this? We've never seen this before. And so next steps here as a church, as we continue to uh, um, uh, create intentional pathways, I, we will, uh, we're busy at work now trying to plan and think and pray through these things. Like how can we create intentional times as a church? Because we're not the only ones. COVID in many ways has just robbed us, right? We kind of have to start at square one here, right? We need to create intentional times for us to be together. It's still a pandemic, so it's getting warm. If you have a big enough backyard, there's still opportunities to be together. How can we create intentional times for us to do so? Because I'm afraid COVID can just, you know, we've gotten the habit of just like being isolated from one another, right? We have to learn to be creative and break through that because isolation is not Christian, right? Peter didn't run away from Jesus when he saw him. He ran to Jesus, right? Because he knew of the calling of reconciliation to come here. So the question becomes for us as a church, how can we do this? And so yes, coming up in the summer, as we're planning, you'll hear of opportunities, uh, formal, you know, kind of assigned, dated times and places. If, if you have a backyard big enough, maybe you could grab me and be willing to host one, but where you can have, we were smaller groups of people from our church gathering together to break bread together, to spend time together, to read scripture together, to pray together, to just be friends together, live life together. We need this as a church. So this summer, those things will be our goal. And mind you, as we learn to do this as a church, my prayer is that you will make disciples in one another, that you will be so involved in one another that you can, um, you, you know, that, that phone call on Tuesday morning will not be uh, out of the blue for somebody or to ask for prayer when life is hard. And we, as we do these things, I, I promise you, I guarantee you, right? If you have people over like this from your church and your house and your neighbors see it, like for all, for all of church history, these things begin to bleed out into our community just like it did with this conversation of, of you know, Peter's re, you know, reconfirmation and his following of Christ, eventually di directly led to Pentecost, directly led to masses becoming saved and a new family being created here. These things from Emmanuel will bleed out into our communities. So that's kind of the next steps we're going here as a church. 
please pray for these things? Because I simply am not willing to just have Sunday services every week and just do nothing else. Not that that's fully happening here, but we have to step forward. We have to cross one another in our lives, press into one another, just like Jesus did with Peter. So a couple of side notes as we, or questions as we, or statements, whatever these will be, as we end our sermon today. It's kind of a process to this. Here's a roadmap to how, how do we increase meaningful community here to mirror what we see in John 21. Number one, you need to be reconciled to Jesus. Maybe you're like Peter this morning, and before anything, you need to jump into that water and go for a hard swim and to get to Jesus as fast as you can. He's extending grace to you. His hand is open right now saying, what are you waiting for? Do you not know that I'm gracious and forgiving and kind? My burden is gentle. Do you not know this? What are you waiting for? Come to me. And he also says to us, come to me as you are, but I'm not going to leave you that way. I have better things in mind for you, right? But come. What are you waiting for? Be reconciled to Jesus, as Paul says. Number two, be reconciled to one another. As Peter is recommissioned by Jesus and forgiven, Peter was asked to care for Jesus' people. Let your love for Jesus spill on those around you. Number three, what is keeping you even this morning from looking around and inviting somebody you don't know in this room over for dinner or scheduling a time to go for a walk with them somewhere? Jesus and Peter did not become close overnight. As we said, they, invest, they had years of investment into one another's life. We, we can start this now. Don't wait for your church to create those more formal environments to gather together. Those are intended just to be kind of like catalysts for you doing this on your own. Like Jesus did with Peter here, pursue one another, disciple one another, press into one another outside of Sundays. Even after service today, grab lunch with somebody if you can. If you don't have little kids who need naps like we do, you'll be screaming if we avoid them. Number four, as we learn to do this, to press into one another, pray Pray that these things will bleed into our community around us. This can be one of the avenues of mission, our love for one another. As Jesus said, they will know that we are Jesus' followers by our love for one another. These are the pathways to building a church empowered by the Spirit. The pathways for renewal, the pathways for revival. Are you willing to play your part in this? I'm going to call the worship team forward as we pray. Jesus, um, I, I, I was just, uh, I was convicted just, I've always heard this conversation between you and Peter is, you know, I, I, I've never kind of humanized you and looked at this as just two friends looking at you, know, talking to one another and um, Lord, you, you are a high priest because you said, I, I, I've been through everything you've been through. I, I was tempted like you in every way. I've, I was grieved like you in every way. I know what it feels like to be human because I was human and Lord, we come to you knowing that you, you know what it feels like to have relationships broken. But Lord, through your spirit, you know what it's like to empower us to be reconciled to one another, to live life together as your body on earth. And Lord, as Paul said, that you are in the business right now through the gospel, through us, through our, just these very normal people in this room, Lord, you are reconciling the world to yourself through us. We are your ambassadors, Lord. What a lofty, calling that is. 
Lord, I pray as we learn to love one another, as we uh, want to press into one another, Lord, that we can take up that calling of being your ambassadors. And that empty seat at our table could include our neighbors, could include, include those who are hungry and looking out for hope in this life. Lord, we pray for this church, Lord, that we, as we are kind of pulling ourselves out of this COVID hole that the nation has been in, Lord, we pray for big things to happen. Lord, we pray that our gatherings could be so powerful, Lord, that your spirit would do amazing things, Lord, that would truly blow our minds and be dramatic, that you would tug on our hearts so much and bring us to our knees, Lord, before you, just crying out for your glory, Lord. But also that our homes would be full of one another. That even my kids, Lord, would be able to be mentored by people in this room. Lord, that your power could work through our love for one another so great that the streets out there, Lord of Wilmington, that people would be walking from the streets into this building and joining us in this church family. We love you, Jesus. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for the resurrection, Lord. You are in the business of making all things new. Lord, renew us this morning, just as you renewed Peter. Continue to renew this church this morning. We pray this in your name. Amen.
return in robes of white the blazing sun shall pierce the night and i will rise among the saints my gaze transfixed on jesus